few weeks ago, I was having coffee with a friend. And after we'd been together a while, he kind of came around to a question of saying, so how's Valley doing with regards to evangelism? And I have to be honest, when I get asked a question like that, there are all these weird things that kind of start to stir inside of me. It's like when someone asks you the weird question like, what's God teaching you right now? I've always hated that question. I don't know if it's because I'm not listening or because trying to sum it up in a few words is difficult for me. I don't know why, but it's always a weird one. So it's one of those questions that I ask other people all the time. I really like to ask them, how's your soul? Because, I mean, if that one doesn't make you go, oh, what do I do? Exactly. That's why I ask. But he asked, how's Valley doing with regards to evangelism? And as I was sitting there and kind of stirring a bit, there were all these things that began to kind of float around in my mind. And I thought, you know, we, we probably need to do a better job with that. And then the next question, the next answer that began to come into my mind was, I I don't know. I'm not even sure how I would say we're doing if I were to evaluate it. And then I landed at this place of going, well, you know, that probably depends on how you mean evangelism when you ask the questions. You see, I have a love-hate relationship with many of our definitions of evangelism. Because the way many think of evangelism these days is that evangelism is handing someone a tract and reading to them what is inside with the hopes that in the next three to five minutes, they will completely turn their life around and decide to follow Jesus and pray the prayer printed on the back of them and everything will be different for them for the rest of their life. And many of us land at evangelism means sharing a tract. And I really do love the way that tracks simplify the message of the gospel, making it easily digestible for people who don't know Jesus. And yet at the same time, I really hate the way that tracks simplify the message of the gospel, making it easily digestible for people who don't know Jesus. So on the one hand, I love that it does that. On the other hand, I absolutely hate that it does that because as I read the scriptures, the gospel is not easily digestible. As a matter of fact, there's there's really not anything easy about the gospel or the message of, of the gospel or what it actually means for us to follow Jesus. As I read about Jesus and Jesus' own sharing of the good news, I'm intrigued by the reality that Jesus absolutely never broke it down into four or five bullet points, as most of our tracks do. I'm intrigued by the reality that Jesus never simplified the message of the gospel to admit, believe, commit. Or now they've changed it to confess that we use in vacation Bible school every summer. Jesus never simplified it that much. As a matter of fact, as we look at the story of Jesus, Jesus often told stories. And when he got to the end of those stories, many of the listeners would go, what in the world is he talking about? And there were others who would go, oh, now I get it. But it was this back and forth of what was happening, and it was never overly simplified, and it was never brought into just a few points. Now, again, hear me. Some of you, I know you want to throw things at me right now. We just thoughtfully took out all the pencils before we started because I knew I was going to say this. So you can't throw sharp objects at me. 
I'm not saying that there's not something valuable about that. There is something of value in that type of presenting the gospel message and what's happening. There is value in being able to come to a simplified understanding of what it means to choose to follow Jesus. My fear is that if that's all we talk about, it also does damage to what it actually means to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is not simply agreeing with four points in a tract. And it's not simply reciting a written prayer on the back of that tract. Following Jesus is more than that. It's bigger than that. And I shared all this with my friend that I was sitting with as I walked through the love-hate relationship with both. And he'd asked me this question. I didn't know what to do with it. And it was stirring up all these feelings inside of me of what do you actually mean when that's going on? The friend I was having coffee with, Doug Dubois, has preached here. He is actually the state evangelism director. So he was actually asking me that question because it's part of his job. And like we'd had coffee for an hour and a half. He was like, okay, now the obligatory question, how's evangelism going? Um, and we talked about it for a while. And we walked through this whole process. And in the midst of it, Doug also shared with me some Something that he had been working on, which was a plan that he uses, which was a guide that he uses. He calls six simple steps, which is a tool that he uses to help try and teach teenagers how they might share their faith. And as he talked about it and he gave me a copy of the book, I thought, huh, I wonder what we could do with this. I wonder how we could use this. I wonder how it would help us, those of us who are teenagers and those of us who are younger than teenagers, and those of us who are a couple of years beyond teenage years. Right, Henry? Just a couple. A few, okay. He, he seems younger than I am. Um, he's got more energy than I do. Um, could get better at this idea of evangelism. I wondered if we looked at this, how we might think about new ways of sharing our faith and how we might actually get better. So again, I came back to that question. How are we doing with regards to evangelism? And the truth is, I probably need to ask each of you, how are you doing when it comes to sharing your love of Jesus with other people. How are you doing with regards to evangelism? How are you doing with regards to sharing your faith with other people? I think for us communally, I probably land at the place of saying some of us, as we look at these six steps over the next six weeks, are, are doing an okay job in some of these areas. But probably all of us could improve in at least one of them or maybe two of them or maybe multiple of them. I would say that some of us are probably doing a really great job helping others find their way towards following Jesus. And also that all of us could probably be more intentional about making sure that people who don't know God are being introduced for the first time. That we're actually speaking this thing that we said was true in our Sabbath series that God is the center and the source of our lives, and that that is true, that we are communicating that to other people. We are sharing that with other people. So before we start, as we talk a little bit about this, let me, let me look at just a couple guiding passages. So a couple passages that we know are in the scriptures that bring us to the place of even believing that evangelism is something we're supposed to do. That sharing our faith, that telling others about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus is even supposed to be a part of what it means for us to be the church, for us to be disciples, for us to be Christ followers. In Matthew chapter 28, 
a well-known passage. We often call it the Great Commission. In verse 19, it says this. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, as, as one of the last things he did standing among the disciples, so we're after the cross, we're after the resurrection, and he's standing among the believers that are still with them, and he says, Go and make disciples. Again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples. And we would say that's the entire reason that Valley exists. Valley exists as a body. We exist as a church to make disciples. If we're not doing that, there is no point us being here. If that is not the sole driving force behind everything we do, then we shouldn't be doing any of the things that we're doing. Because that is the reason why we are here. We exist to make disciples. Now we would say, I would say especially, but we would say that that discipleship in the scriptures we understand to be a journey. A journey that every person is on from knowing nothing about God to being a faithful follower of Jesus. Now Doug and I talk about this too. A lot of people talk about discipleship as what happens after evangelism. I think the entire thing is discipleship. The entire journey. Nothing about God through faithful follower of Jesus. All of that is the journey of discipleship that people are on. All of that is the journey of faith. It's a process. It's a journey. It requires of us ongoing movement. And as disciples, it also means that we come to a place. So as Christ followers, it means we come to a place that we decide to be intentional, that our movement will be in the direction of Jesus. So not everyone on the journey is moving in the same direction, but as those who have decided to follow Christ, we hit a point where we say, on this journey, I'm going to go the way of Jesus. I'm going to follow after Jesus. Everybody with me at this point? Everybody's just still there, yeah? All right. Um, so we move a little further in the scriptures and we read the teachings of Paul over and over again. Paul's talking about what this means and what this looks like. But one piece, one passage specifically jumped out at me as I thought about this. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's writing to one of his disciples, one of the, the, the young guys that he has brought up in the faith, Timothy, a young pastor. And this is what he says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, fan into flames the faith that is inside of you. Fan into flames the spiritual gift that you were given. Fan this into flames. Make it brighter and bolder. Make it burn hotter. Fan it into flames. And he says that both Timothy and I think it continues to reverberate to us. We are not to be ashamed of sharing the truth of Jesus and the message of the gospel. So on this journey that we're on, we, we hit a point, we hit a place that we choose to follow after Jesus. And then the calling is that we bring others along with us. 
They're not simply towards good behavior, which Jesus taught. But that's not the goal. That's not what Jesus was talking about. But it's actually bringing people into the place that they are in relationship with the Savior. That they have come to know the Savior in deep and passionate ways. So I wonder if these six simple steps that Doug has talked about could help us in this. Now, no, as we talk about, as we talk about six steps, this is also a process. As Doug talks about it and he teaches it, he says that if you begin to walk with somebody intentionally on this, that it might take a year or more before they make a decision to walk with Jesus. This, is, this isn't quick. This isn't easy. This is not something short that just happens immediately. As a matter of fact, I think that choosing to follow Jesus is a huge commitment. Huge the most important decision that a person can make in their life. I hadn't thought about this till right this minute, but Callie and I have been looking for a couch for days. We've been talking about it for weeks. I'm not sure we'll ever actually pick one out that we like or that we want. It's a couch. And for some reason, we think people are going to come to the place that they can decide to follow Jesus in something like three to five minutes. But it's okay if it takes three months to pick out a couch. Or a car or a house. Those decisions are so much less significant. I think it is completely appropriate for us to slow down a bit and understand this shouldn't come lightly to anyone. This is huge. This is not a decision that people should make simply or quickly. It's okay for us to be patient with them as they walk through this journey and this conversation. It is right for us to walk with them slowly through the journey and the process. In the Old Testament, we get this really great journey story. It's told in the book of Exodus, but we also see it in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. We see all this overlap of this journey story of what's taking place as the Israelites journey from Egypt towards the promised land. And we're told about this long journey that's taking place in them. And as we read about the journey, we see that there are good days and there are bad days. We see that for the Israelites, there are are days that they really want to follow after God. And there are other days when they absolutely run the opposite direction from what God has called them to do. We see that there are times of incredible, unimaginable sin. And then also times of unbelievable, unspeakable dependence on God. A journey. Give and take back and forth, right direction, wrong direction. But we see that this journey takes place. And all along the journey, we find Moses. And we keep seeing about Moses on the journey. And and much like the Israelites and much like us, Moses too has ups and downs in his journey with God. Moses has days of obedience and days of disobedience. Moses has these times when he is a phenomenal leader. And other times when it would be a really good idea for him to go to a course to work on his people skills. Like his marketing methods are terrible to actually encourage people to go with him in the direction that he's going. We see all of that take place. We see all of that as a piece of what's going on. But what we also see from Moses is that over and over again as Moses interacts with these people, that he goes to God on behalf of of the people that he loved. We find that Moses was deeply committed to the people of Israel. A lot of times we find that right after chewing them out, he stays faithful to them. Most of the time. 
Sometimes he'd like to just toss them and be rid of them. But most of the time, he stays incredibly faithful to them. When they make some of their biggest mistakes as a people, Moses continues to stay and be connected and invested in what they're doing. He defends them. He goes to God on their behalf. Moses, over and over again, uses his own relationship with God as an opportunity for him to go to God on behalf of the people. For him to to connect with God on their behalf. The the passage we read talks about him talking to God as if, like the way a friend talks to a friend. So this friend would go to his friend who happened to also be the creator of the universe. And he would go and he would intercede on behalf of the people. He would talk to God on their behalf. He would defend them. He would fight for them. And we see that it often comes in response to their criticism of Moses and his leadership. It comes in response to their criticism of the ways in which they don't like how God has provided for them. And when that happens, we find that Moses often stands between the people and God and he begs God to care for his people. He begs God for mercy. In Ruth Haley Barton's book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, she gives this really great list where she talks about some of the the times that Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And I'm going to kind of pick and choose as I read through some of it, but the the list is up there um, as I read through some of the reminders that she gives us of what's there. We see that at Marah, When the people complained that they couldn't drink the water because it was bitter, that Moses, and this is what it says, cried out to the Lord on their behalf. That's in Exodus 15, 23 through 25. When they quarreled with Moses and with God at Rephidim, it says that Moses cried out to the Lord asking God what to do in Exodus 17. Rather than lashing out at them or getting hooked into trying to prove himself to them, he battled it out in private with God. When the people sinned by worshiping the golden calf, Moses' intercession saved them from being completely annihilated by God's anger. Moses said in that passage, Moses implored the Lord and the Lord changed his mind. That's in Exodus chapter 32. Moses laid his life on the line and identified with the people completely as he interceded from them for them. He said this, he said, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of the book you've written. So if you're getting rid of them, get rid of me too. I'm standing with them. That's in Exodus chapter 32, right before the passage that we read. When the people complained against God in the desert and the fire of the Lord burned against them. He said, the the scriptures tell us Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire abated. We find that in Numbers chapter 11. When Miriam was afflicted with leprosy because she and Aaron had become jealous and challenged Moses' authority. The scripture says Moses cried to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. In Numbers chapter 12. When the people refused to believe God and entered boldly into the promised land. It got so bad that they threatened to displace Moses and Aaron and appoint new leaders. And God's anger burned against them. Once again, Moses interceded for the people. Reminding God of his character and his covenant. They're throwing him out as a leader and Moses goes before God. Reminding God and he says, forgive the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast Love in Numbers 14. When Korah led a revolt against Moses and the whole congregation assembled against him, which brought about a punishing plague, Moses and Aaron carried incense into the middle of the congregation to make atonement for them in Numbers 16. We're told that Moses literally, and this is what it says, stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. When God sent fiery serpents among the people because they'd become impatient and spoke against God and Moses, Moses prayed for the people. 
And God instructed him to make an image of a serpent and set it on a pole so that everyone who'd been bitten could look at it and live in Numbers chapter 21. Over and over again, we find that Moses is the intercessor. Moses goes to God on behalf of the people, wanting to bring them back into God and also wanting to convince God, God, continue to stay committed to these people. Continue to bring them along. Continue to bring them on the journey forward that you've called them into. You have big dreams for your people. God, even though they run in the other direction, don't give up on them. I am amazed at his faithfulness. And in Doug's plan that he's created, this six simple steps, which is also online if you're interested, it's at like sixsimplesteps.org, I think is where it is, or something like that. He says that we begin this work of evangelism with prayer. The very first thing that we do if we're going to begin to share our faith with others is that we pray. And according to the scriptures, this is no small thing. Over and over again, we're told about the power of prayer in the scriptures. And we're told that this prayer works in amazing ways. That God has put unbelievable power in our hands by giving us the opportunity to pray. The opportunity to come to God and speak to God as a friend would to a friend. To speak to God face to face. We see that Moses prayed and that repeatedly God changed his mind because of the prayers of Moses. Now we can read that and and sometimes jump a little too quickly and go, wow, I get to decide what God does. No, no, no. We don't exactly direct the work of God. And Moses did not direct the work of God. But the scriptures do tell us, and I don't know how to clearly define the balance between the two. the, The scriptures do tell us that we influence the work of God Through the speaking of our prayers. And I think it's true that if we are ever going to see our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our strange, or even strangers who we desire to see come to know Jesus, if we're ever going to see that happen, we must be willing to faithfully and repeatedly go to God on their behalf. In the Exodus chapter 33 passage that I read, we see what happens when we're told that Moses was going before God. I think it's a beautiful passage as we read that story. This tent of meeting was this place that was set up outside the camp for prayer. And the passage tells us that as Moses would go, they treated it like a holiday parade. They would all come and they would stand at the entrance of their tents and they would watch as Moses would pass by headed to have conversation with God because they knew that Moses was going on their behalf. They knew that the work that Moses was going to do was sacred. They knew that it was powerful. I think that this repeated work of Moses, the fact that he would over and over again go to God and they knew he was going on their behalf, I think it helped them trust Moses more. I think it helped them follow Moses more faithfully. I think it helped them come to the place to even have faith in Moses' God. Because this repeated work that he did convinced them that his God was a God worth following. Church, how would it change the relationship we have with others? If they knew we loved them enough that we consistently went to God on their behalf. How how would it change our interactions that we have? Whether they're people who follow Jesus or not. Whether they're people who know God or not. 
Lots of people aren't interested in having conversation with me about Jesus. But I've never actually had anyone that I asked to pray for say, nope, I don't want anything to do with that prayer stuff. They may or may not be followers of Jesus, but they are more than willing to let me pray with them. Now, we have to be cautious about this idea of of interceding or praying for others or on behalf of others because sometimes, if we're honest, and I know we don't always like to be honest around here, but if we're honest, we have to be honest about the fact that many of our prayers for other people aren't actually on their behalf, right? We go and we pray to God, God, if you would just make Susie act more like she's supposed to so that I could like her better, that would be a really wonderful thing. That prayer has nothing to do with Susie. It's completely selfish. It has everything to do with the idea that I might like her better if she acted more the way that I thought she was supposed to act. But the true work of intercession, the true work of going and praying to God on the behalf of others, is not about us. It's not about our wants. It's not about what we think we need. But it's about taking these people to God and pleading that God would work the good in their life that God desires for them. And sometimes as we do this, it might be incredibly specific. And other times it's very general. It's very broad. Sometimes it's for people that we know and we can pray more specifically. Sometimes it's for people who we don't know. And therefore it brings us to this place that our, that our prayers are broad and they're more generalized and they're much less specific. In your bulletin, if you got one, there should be an insert of a handout. What color is it? Somebody help me. Green? It's what, Lars? Lars says it's Lime. I thought those were green. Um, It's lime green. This is a piece of the tool, the the handbook that Doug has created. It's, It's the first page of it where we can come and pray for people. Where we can take this tool and pray in specific ways for people we know. We can begin to list things that are true about their life. Specific dates, special dates, things that are important to them. Little notes that we want on there. To remember that these are the things that we want to consistently pray for them and over them as we're interceding on their behalf. And we can take this and we can begin to pray for someone and maybe we tell them that we're going to do it. Or maybe we don't ever tell them. Or maybe we don't tell them yet. But we can take it and we can begin to work through praying for a specific person. Or we can print 10 of these or 20 of these or 50 of these and have very specific ways in which we pray over people in our life. Because I believe that it's true that the more that you and I approach God on behalf of someone else, that God gives us a heart for them. The more that we approach God on their behalf, that God gives us a longing to see them blessed. When I talk to somebody about relationship struggles, when I talk about their enemy or a struggle that they're having, you know the thing that I tell everyone? Begin to pray that God would bless them. Because eventually, the more and more that you pray that God would bless someone that you don't like, God starts changing your heart in crazy ways. Because it's hard to pray that God would do good in someone else's life and continue to have an issue with them. The more and more we approach God on behalf of others, God gives us an understanding of how we speak to them, how we share with them faith, how we share with them the journey of what's going on. The more and more that we go to God on behalf of other people, we come to love them more fully and to look for ways that we can show them our love. 
And we can do the same thing with people that we don't know. We might not be able to put their names on a list or be able to talk about them on a list, although we could also do this with people who we don't know, we just didn't know who they are. People of power, perhaps. Government officials, famous people. There are ways in which we could begin to pray for them specifically by doing this, but sometimes it's with strangers. And one of the most powerful ways that we could do that is through faithfully prayer walking. Through deciding that we're just going to walk up and down streets. Maybe the streets of our neighborhood. Maybe the streets of a place that we go frequently. We're going to walk up and down the streets and we're going to notice houses and we're going to notice neighbors. We might even meet them. Now, wouldn't that be crazy? Actually meeting our neighbors. But as we go and we look, we make friends, we pray. And no one even knows that that's what we're doing. It just looks like someone out on a walk. But the reality is that we are praying passionately on their behalf. We are pleading to God that God would bring blessing, that God would bring change, that God would do amazing things in them and for them and through them. And day after day we go and we pray and we ask God to speak and we ask God to bring them along on the journey. We ask that we might have an opportunity to help usher them into the way of Christ. Our mission strategy team is actually working on a way that we can do this as an organization, as a group on the campuses that are so close to us. That we could go and we could walk occasionally on the campuses of Towson and Goucher. That we could go and we could pray for those students over and over and over again because we want to see these students come to know and follow Jesus. So we should go and we should pray for it. We should go to God on their behalf over and over and over again, and we should beg God to work in their lives. We want to be a people who are deeply committed to our neighbors. And that has to include the two campuses that we're so close to. You and I have this opportunity to practice going to God on behalf of others. To practice going and praying on their behalf. Finding opportunities to bring them along on the journey again. Whether it's strangers and we're prayer walking or it's people that we know. But I think one of the best ways for us to begin this practice of evangelism. This thing that's not a thing, it's a practice. Becomes more effective if we start it with prayer. If we understand that more important than bullet points are ongoing relationships between someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't yet. So here's my challenge to you this week. As you and I start this process of evangelism together, take this worksheet and fill it out for one person. Or if you want multiple copies for multiple people, you can go raid the rest of the leftover bulletins if you want. Many of you are going to leave them in your seat. You can just walk through the seats and pick them up. While you're at it, throw the other trash away and get it out of the way. It'd be very helpful. And take a list with you and fill out the list and add to that the names and the specific things that you know that you can pray through. And begin to pray for them every single day. It doesn't have to be big and glorious. It can be incredibly simple. God, today I pray for Sam. And that can be it. But the more that we pray, the more that we go, the more that God begins to work and God begins to change our heart for him. And the other thing I'd like to ask you to consider committing to is that once a week you would go and prayer walk somewhere. Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe around a local campus, maybe at an area school, maybe in a shopping center. 
And you just begin to walk up and down and around, praying for people, walking up and down aisles, up and down streets, just praying that God would work in incredible ways. Because again, I think that this practice of going to God on behalf of others works in unbelievable ways and it grows in us a deep love for them and we come to love them more like God loves other people. But I think that this first step of us fanning into flames the faith that is in us and the faith that is in others begins with us praying deeply on their behalf. So I invite you to start simply, easily, incredibly practically. But start this move forward. All right? Pray with me, would you? Jesus, you are great and glorious. You are mighty and powerful. You are worthy of our worship and our praise. You are the center and the source of our life. So God, grow. Thrive. Help us fan into flames the faith that is inside of us so that it would become brighter and bolder. And so that people we come into contact with day in and day out could be changed by the love of Jesus and the ways in which it's shown through the church and their people. God, lay on our minds specific people. who we can intercede for, who we can commit ourselves to. And grow our boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.